for the gospel, for the message of that complete salvation to then go out to the ends of the earth, there would be more cost and there would be more suffering. Those who would serve as ministers of the gospel, those like Paul, would need to join Jesus in suffering for the sake of the lost, for the sake of the church. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller. Glad you've joined us today as we begin a message called The Marks of Authentic Gospel Ministry. And Jonathan, as you talk about the gospel going out and people suffering along with that, is are those two tied together in Scripture in some way? Well, it's such a fascinating thing, and it's a very, very good question. I think the Apostle Paul would say the answer is yes. In his own experience, that was certainly the case. We think of his story, the opposition he faced, uh, imprisonments, being shipwrecked along the way a few times, and all these things. I mean, there was real suffering involved in his life for the gospel to go out. And as he considers that, he traces that back to the Lord Jesus himself and to the shape of Jesus's earthly ministry. And, And Paul suggests to us that there is a connection there. And that's something that he opens up in this first chapter of Colossians. And it's something we're going to be thinking about a little bit together today. So do you think that for the person who says, I want the gospel to go out, I want people to be reached with that good news, we need to be prepared to suffer? I think we do need to be prepared to suffer. If we're going to be Christians and follow Jesus, we should expect to need to take up our cross and follow him. That's what Jesus says. But Paul certainly indicates that for those who enter vocational ministry, there will be a measure of cost involved in that, a special cost, we might say. And one of the things he's going to show us in this passage, and we're going to see in this message, is that authentic gospel ministry will be marked in some way by that cost. And, and what he's wanting us to be able to do is to identify authentic ministry, because, of course, there is so much inauthentic ministry around, and it's easy to be deceived. Well, we don't want to be deceived, so let's open up our copies of God's Word together. Grab your Bible, join us in the book of Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 1 as we begin the marks of authentic gospel ministry. Here is Jonathan. Well, what does authentic gospel ministry look like? What are the marks of a ministry that is shaped by God's Word and faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ? What are the characteristics of a ministry that you would be willing to sit under? What are the characteristics that should mark your own ministry to others? Now, these are vital questions, aren't they? They're questions that every Christian believer needs to grapple with, and they are the very questions that the Apostle Paul tackles head-on in our passage today. In previous verses, Paul gave something of an overview of the gospel message itself, and he ended that summary by pivoting our attention to focus now on his own ministry. Just notice how he pivots. Verse 23, he spoke of the gospel which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, we might ask why it is that Paul is turning our attention to think about his ministry, his own ministry, and what marks it as authentic and Christ-honoring and so on. Why is he doing that? Why is he pivoting in that way at this point in the letter? Well, the link here is basic and essential. You see, we simply cannot separate the authenticity of the message from the authenticity of the messenger. 
That was true in a, a profound sense, of course, for Paul the Apostle. He was tasked with transmitting the message of Jesus at the beginning along with the rest of the twelve. His role as an apostle was very, very special. But you know, the point still holds true for ministry today. If we want to be confident that we are receiving and passing on the true message, we need to be sure that the ministry we receive and the ministry we engage in is authentic and true. Now, we can understand why it is that Paul is taking time to address this issue for the Colossian Christians. This was actually a pressing issue for them. You see, they had false teachers in their midst. There were those in their community, maybe even within their church, who were pressing upon them distortions to the gospel and no doubt were questioning the message and the messengers that the Colossians had heard and received. Paul himself, it seems he had never actually visited this community. His ministry associate Epaphras had taught them, verse 7. We see that earlier in the chapter. But, but Paul felt the need now to go out of his way to confirm that Epaphras, his ministry associate, is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And now he's going out of his way in our verses to show that his own ministry is the real deal, is authentic, is trustworthy. You see, the reliability of the message is bound up with the reliability of the messenger. Now, we all know that, of course, instinctively. We get that. In both secular and spiritual contexts, if a trusted teacher is later shown up to be a fraud in some way, shown to have been involved in some kind of deceit or misconduct, those who have learned from the teacher go back and question the things that they learned from him or her. Was I being deceived? Was I being misled? Is what I learned and then believed, is it a lie? And so we need to ask the question, what are the marks of authenticity of a ministry that can be trusted? From his own personal example, Paul sets before us at least two in our passage, and the first one is this, strenuous toil with the energy of Christ. Strenuous toil with the energy of Christ. Faithful ministry, authentic ministry, is never going to be easy. No, it's going to involve strenuous effort, toil, even suffering. I was sharing with some of our, our staff here the other day my experience of receiving the job description for my very first ministry post, and I may have shared this with you before. I was candidating, engaged in discussions for a pastoral role, and the senior pastor at this particular church over in the UK sent me the job description. On the documentation, there was set out a list of desired characteristics, of course, of the ideal candidate, and there were, the, there were the types of things on there that one would expect to find, the things one might anticipate. You know, an ability to teach, that's quite helpful. Uh, care for people, that's pretty important. Some facility with the biblical languages they wanted, that was interesting, and then so on and so forth. And then this, and I remember it well, it's there on the page, a willingness to suffer for the gospel right there in black and white on the job description. We want someone who is willing to suffer. Now, you might read that and you think, what kind of a nightmare of a church <laughs> is this poor guy dealing with? What, what did they do to the last hire? And, and the mind starts worrying. But of course, this is just a reflection of biblical reality. You see, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it always goes out at a cost. That was Paul's experience, certainly. 
He knew what it was to work hard. He knew what it was to be shipwrecked multiple times, imprisoned, maligned, mistreated, abandoned, and betrayed. And in his own experience of suffering for the gospel, he was actually following faithfully in the footsteps of the Savior. You see, the Lord Jesus, we know, he faced unimaginable suffering to bring hope and salvation to the lost. And as a minister of the gospel, Paul ties his own suffering in, in a striking way, in a way that almost jars as we read it. He ties his own suffering in some profound way to the suffering of Jesus Christ. Did that jump off the page at you as we read that? Just notice again what he says in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. What is Paul saying? in that very, very remarkable statement. Well, I think we can clarify at the start what he is not saying, and let's just clarify that if we may. He absolutely is not saying that the atoning work of Jesus at Calvary is incomplete. He's not saying that. He's not saying that the death of Jesus was not sufficient to pay the price of sin. That's not the point. Paul is so clear throughout his letters, throughout his correspondence, that the death of Jesus is the complete payment for sin, the only means of justification. It's clear enough from this very chapter of his writings. Just recall verse 20, through Jesus, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, making peace, achieving peace. It's done by the blood of his cross. See, the, the death of Jesus was not deficient was not lacking in its ability to save sinners. Paul would never imply that because he's so clear about it. But here's the point. For the gospel, for the message of that complete salvation to then go out to the ends of the earth, there would be more cost and there would be more suffering. Those who would serve as ministers of the gospel, those like Paul, would need to join Jesus in suffering for the sake of the lost, for the sake of the church. Now, that cost, that suffering can take various forms, and for some it will be dramatic, for some it will be extreme. We think of those who've been persecuted and martyred for the sake of the gospel. We, we can think of those who are facing violent opposition in different parts of the world, even today, even as we meet. We can consider the social ostracism and scorn that is becoming increasingly common for those who would serve Jesus and would proclaim His Word. There can be suffering that comes through betrayal and hard interpersonal dynamics within churches, nasty politics, and all the rest. These are realities. And every minister of the gospel will have their own experience of cost and suffering that goes with ministry. I spent much of this uh, past week in Atlantic Canada running training workshops for pastors for the Timothy Trust. I was in uh, Nova Scotia on Tuesday, New Brunswick on Wednesday, Prince Edward Island on Thursday, Newfoundland on Friday, although I was told that I don't say the name of that province properly and so marked myself as a, an outsider right away, but I'll work on that. In any case, I met with a number of pastors in each province, and as I spent time talking with them, they shared with me the joys of seeing the gospel move forward and, and the church of Jesus Christ being built. But, you know, they also shared with me some of their sorrows failed church plants after years of investment in hard places, church conflict, nasty division, hateful opposition from unbelievers, even threats of violence in one place in Canada to uh, ministry workers and their families, real threats of violence, financial challenges, 
lack of resources, and, and on and on and on it goes. And of course, I, I was sobered and my heart went out to them, but I wasn't surprised. You see, Paul says this will be tough as the gospel goes out. I try and drive home this point to our students on the Timothy course each year. You know, if you're looking for a life of ease, <laughs> quiet life, simple nine to five, don't do ministry. D- don't do it. There are joys, there are privileges to be sure, but it's not, it's not the easy road. Paul speaks in verse 28 of the nature of the work, and we're going to look at this in more detail in a minute, but, but notice his summary. He says, him, that is Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ, and then notice the cost of doing that glorious work. Notice what's involved in this, verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. It's, it's toil. It's demanding. That's the, the nature of it. It's, it's, it's demanding on a number of different levels. It's intellectually demanding. You see, God's Word is so rich and deep, and it takes study to get to grips with it. It's spiritually demanding because you're dealing with profound realities all the time, and it's searching, and then there will be spiritual opposition as one does that. And then it will be relationally demanding because you're engaging with people all the time in this, and not on a superficial level, really engaging at the level of heart reality. Now, I don't mention all this because I'm, I'm uh, hoping for some kind of pity party after the service where all the pastors, you know, can gather together in a huddle saying, woe is me, and, and we can receive sympathy for how hard the job is. No, not at all. I can hardly think of anything I'd enjoy less. I mention this only because it's in our passage, and I don't think we can or should avoid it. But I emphasize it because strenuous toil, even suffering, this is a vital mark of faithfulness and authenticity, and we need to know the marks. Faithful gospel ministry will be marked by cost. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, and we're going to pause right here, but we'll get back to our message in just a moment. If you did happen to join us a little bit late, we're in the book of Colossians chapter 1, so this will give you a second to grab a Bible and be ready to uh, meet us there in just a moment. If you did join us late, you can also go back and listen to what you missed. On our website, we archive previous broadcasts. You can go online and stream the program or download an MP3 for free. That's at EncounterTheTruth.org. Or you can listen through the Encounter the Truth app, which is free, and you're going to find that at your favorite app store. Simply look for Encounter the Truth. Well, let's get back to our message. Once again, here is Jonathan. Faithful gospel ministry will be marked by cost. Every faithful gospel minister I know and know well has borne the marks of ministry costing them, taking some kind of a toll, involving even a measure of suffering. Now, in the Lord's wise design, that's part of the package. And, you know, if you see a ministry that seems to be so marked with ease and success and it all looks very, very smooth, uh, the pastor never seems to have a care in the world just be wary. Just be cautious. One of the dynamics I want to look at in a moment in this passage is the way in which Paul expects all true believers to be engaged in ministry. You see, he thought you were going to be off the hook, and this was just going to be the pastors who were in view here. No, he wants all of us to be engaged in ministry. We'll talk about that a little more under the next point. But while there is something special about Paul's apostolic ministry— And there is a special call upon the lives of those who are set apart to be pastors. 
ministers of the gospel, elders within the church of Jesus Christ, Paul does expect that all believers will be engaged in the work of ministry, and because, because of that, because that is the case, we need to see that this feature of authentic ministry, suffering and toil, hard work, it will extend to all of us as we seek to serve. And so, wherever and however you are engaged in ministry and in service, l- let me say this, don't go into that service viewing it as a form of leisure or entertainment or some kind of a hobby. Don't do that. Sometimes we can almost think that way, getting involved with the kids in the Sunday school or the youth midweek or whatever. It's just going to be fun. It's going to be a kind of refreshment and so on. And of course, when you get into it, if you're serious about it and you mean to do it well and teach the Word faithfully and disciple others carefully, you discover soon enough this. You discover that it is toil. Joyful toil, but toil, it's prayer. It's sometimes heartache. It's the investment of time when you're tired and you would prefer perhaps to be relaxing. It's getting involved in the messiness of broken lives when you might prefer peace and quiet. It's costly, and sometimes that cost feels a whole lot like suffering. And I know that so many among us know precisely what I'm talking about. Be encouraged. Let me say that. Be encouraged if that is your experience right now. It's a sign not of failure, but of faithfulness. It's what we're given to expect. But, but before we leave this point and move on to the next one, just notice how Paul does this, how he manages it, how he endures. In this work of ministry, in, in investing in individuals through the proclamation of the Word of God, notice how he does it, verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Apostle Paul, he struggles not with his own energy, for that would quickly fail him and dissipate. No, he struggles with the energy of Jesus, the energy that Jesus releases powerfully within him by his Spirit, And in Paul's own weakness, when he reaches the end of himself and the end of his own resources, he finds Jesus to be strong. In the recent power outage we we had here in Ottawa, our our own neighborhood was immediately divided. When the power went out, the, the neighborhood was suddenly divided into two groups of people, one privileged, one less so. And the division was simply this, those who had a standby generator attached to their house and those who did not. When the storm hit and the city went dark immediately in our neighborhood, further off in our case, actually, you heard a noise, a gentle hum off in the distance. And uh, you saw a few homes where the lights were still on, where, where, where the homeowners had wisely invested in a backup power system, one that automatically kind of kicked in when the mains failed. And for the days that we remained in general darkness, those privileged homes powered on. You and I, if we belong to Jesus Christ, have a power source, a supply that others do not. When our natural strength reaches its limits and then buckles under the strain, we have another source that enables us to do and to serve where otherwise we simply could not, where it looks humanly impossible. And you know, you don't know the power of that until you need it. You don't know what Jesus can and will do in and through you until the lights go out and you're in a situation where you have to rely upon Him and then you find 
The strength, it's, it's remarkable. And the resource, it's, it's unlimited. That's the first mark of authentic ministry that Paul gives us, strenuous toil with the energy of Christ. And the next one is this full proclamation of the Word of Christ. Paul became a minister of the church, verse 25, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known. Paul sees his ministry as a stewardship from God. It's something that has come to him as a trust that he must guard and then use for its appointed purpose. And here's the purpose. It is to make the Word of God fully known. The language Paul uses here is literally that of fulfillment. His stewardship is to fulfill the Word of God. And I think from what he says here, there are two aspects to that fulfillment. The Word needs to get out fully in terms of its reach and it needs to get out fully in terms of its content. No one should miss out on hearing it, and no part of the message should be left out. To make the Word of God fully known. Notice both these aspects of fulfillment are woven together in what Paul has to say here. This full word, verse 26, is the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. In the Bible's vocabulary, a mystery is something not previously known, not available, accessible to human beings by normal means, something only God can reveal. This mystery, it was hidden for ages and generations, but now made known to the saints, that is, to the holy people of God. And here it is, verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Mystery is extended beyond Israel to the nations, to the Gentiles, to non-Jews like the Colossians, actually. That in itself is groundbreaking. That in itself is incredible, perhaps hard to believe to the Israelite ear. But the heart of the mystery, it is this. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, we're quite accustomed to thinking in terms of Christ being for us and acting for us. Christ died for us at Calvary. He gave Himself for us to pay the price of our sin. He died in our place. He is coming again to receive us. He's coming again for us. And all that is gloriously true. But, you know, more often than we might actually notice, Paul speaks of salvation in even more personal terms. He speaks of Christ being in us or us being in Christ. That's actually a major emphasis in the writings of Paul. It's something that he reflects upon often and makes much of. For Paul, to be a Christian, to be saved, to belong to Jesus, is to be in Christ and to have Christ in us. Those are two sides of the same coin. But the reality Paul points to is to be united to Jesus unbreakably and inseparably. It is for our life to be bound up with His and His life now to be bound up with ours. Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth in a message called The Marks of Authentic Gospel Ministry. And we're taking a look at those marks of authenticity, the things that you're going to look for if a ministry is to be trusted. We've looked at the strenuous toil with the energy of Christ and full proclamation of the Word of Christ. And we're going to continue this message on our next broadcast. I do hope you make it a point to tune in. If you ever miss a program, you can always listen online. Our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. 
You know, if you're a regular listener to this program, you know that Encounter the Truth is listener-supported. We do depend on your generosity to keep this program on this station, but as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book written by Tim Keller. It's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And Jonathan, why did you pick this book? I think you and I have an uphill battle to see ourselves not through the lens of our successes and our failures, but to see ourselves through the lens of Jesus Christ and his gospel. If we belong to Jesus, our identity is now bound up with him, who he is and what he has done at Calvary. And the way to personal freedom is to see ourselves in Christ and through the lens of what he's done. And, and this little book is such a tremendous help in taking us to that place of freedom. And I believe it'll be a help to you. Well, the book is called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, and we would love to send you a copy as you give a gift of any amount this month. You can give a gift online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 1-833-998-7884. Or again, the website, EncounterTheTruth.org. For Jonathan, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.